This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max brought to you by Bastion GRP. For all your specialist needs in recruiting, engineering, defense, go to bastiongrp.com. Joining me on the show today is an absolute legend of footy. He's now Collingwood Premiership winning assistant coach, Scott Sowell. Scooter, it's an absolute honor to have you on. Uh, just thought sort of the beginning of the offseason. How are you? Good, mate. It only took me 100 episodes to get on, but I'm finally <laughs> on. So I appreciate you having me on. Now, Scott, I want to chat first of all, what are the last few weeks, uh, I guess, been like for you post-grand final? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been pretty exciting the, to, to go through and experience it. And, and maybe when you're a coach, it's a little bit different. You probably sit back a little bit more. But yeah. in some ways, it's it's extremely enjoyable for my natural personality to sit back and watch the players and the families be really excited and, and the joy yeah. and the love that's in the air. It's pretty incredible to watch. But... Um, I feel like we've been building towards something like that. Um, that's just an outcome of all the process we put in place. And I don't want to get too coachy on you too early, but yeah. it does feel very much like that, that uh, flies create an incredible environment that uh, we do share the love a lot throughout the year. No stress watching the guys, especially in, I guess, the last few moments of the granny. Well, one thing we try and do is put them in positions all the time that they feel really comfortable to make really smart decisions out there. So, whether you win or lose, you hope you've just got the process right or you've gone through and made sure you educate all the really important things. And that's one thing I feel like our guys have really committed to is understanding the best way to, to try and win a game. Or if you're going to lose it, um, what are you happy to, how are you happy to lose it? And uh, I mean, we've got some incredibly smart athletes um, in, in Pendles and Steel. And um, not only that, probably the guys out down back as well in Howie and, and Darcy Moore, but probably the evolution of what we saw like a Bo McCreary come along and, and even Bobby and some of the dying stages moments where you can just see they're all buying into the same thing that uh, it's pretty impressive. You mentioned the process before and putting guys in, I guess, comfortable situations or situations for when at game time and those clutch moments in games and the death of games come around, they do feel comfortable. What's the process like throughout the week for those kinds of situations? Yeah, so we try and do it in different ways. We probably try and do it through meetings, then we try and train it. We also go through with our psych, our club psychologists. So we're trying to hit all the areas, whether we're making sure that uh, they see it through vision and we talk through it as a, as a collective. And then we go and train what we've talked through. But then they'll also speak to the psychologists and how they're feeling in those moments. And it's extremely beneficial sometimes to be really honest and just say, hey, I'm shitting myself in these moments. And they go, okay, so when, it, when it's like that, how can we come back to the moment and what's your role? What can you control right now? Uh, because I have no doubt, mate, when I was playing and I was in those moments, uh, I knew I wasn't probably going to be the match winner. Um, I just want to make sure I didn't lose it. So getting clarity on role and what I can do to help my teammates win the game uh, from a mental point of view, can just be as strong as what some of the actions we try and do from a physical point of view. It seems like a group collective, though, at the end of games. And when it comes down to those moments, everyone's, I guess, within the same headspace, the same mindset. They know what they need to do. And I guess something that's been really impressive probably this year within the last two minutes have been, I guess, that those repeat stoppages. Yeah, and I, it's it's a really fun thing to do at the end of trainings. And I know they do it all the, all the time in NBA and NFL, and all clubs do it, to be honest with you. We were probably just one of the clubs that were in the situation a lot last year. Yeah. Um, practice a lot, and that 
I mean, we re- we reviewed a lot, and that means we got really good at um, at trying to get the process right. So this year, it's held us in good stead. Probably not so much throughout the home and away season, but definitely in. I think to win the flag and with the collective point system of uh, of twelve points all up between the three games is, is pretty crazy to think. But um, to know that you know we'd practice those moments and it was really clear in terms of some of the some of the calls that we make or or the plays that we call um, that they come off. It's it's really well done. It's it's clear and succinct for all the players so they all know their roles. I guess the matchup between Tom Mitchell and Lockie Neal was always going to be. Um, I guess a grand final and game defining sort of matchup. What was the message to Tommy throughout the game and prior to the game? Yeah, it's a good question. We're not a tagging team, so um, but there's definitely a lot of players with the Brisbane Lions that you want to tag and they make you really worried. So um, <laughs> there's probably a little bit of a focus just to go, okay, if we're not going to tag, what's it going to look like if Lockie gets off the chain? And yep. there's probably a couple of things. That's probably a little bit my area that I look into that, um, how's Lockie getting his possessions? Is he, is he getting them through clearances or is he getting them around the ground and he's getting metres gained? So they're the two sort of triggers for me. Is he kicking the ball inside 50 and having an impact like that? Or yeah. is he having an impact around stoppages? And I probably thought stoppages was going to be his go on the day. And I, you can just sort of t- tell Tom early in the week, he just had a really narrow focus. And uh, if you ever get the chance to, to interview Tom, what we did at the start of the... Um, the finals journey, we we got all the players to write themselves a letter and it was just to make sure they dreamt about it because it's one of those things if you say don't think about the grand final or don't think about the pink elephant in the room, it's the first thing you think of. So we made sure that we sort of said, hey, let's dream about it, write down what you think and what it looks like for you. Um, what, you know, when you when you write this letter, you're going to write it as if you've already won the grand final. So what what's the messaging and what's going to look like? And for Tom... He actually wrote in that four weeks earlier, he said, I'm going to tag Lockie Neal on grand final day and I'm hopefully going to do a number on him and play my role for the team. So it was more of a stoppage focus to make sure that he went to him and Tom knew he was probably going to play about 70% game time with Nick coming in to play some midfield minutes, but just a really narrow focus uh, on what he needed to do was really beneficial and I thought he was absolutely excellent on not only that, I thought his prelim was, was awesome as well. Absolutely. What's Fly been like since he's, I guess, coming to the club? He's been a real breath, breath, oh, sorry, breath, breath of fresh air. Yeah, he he has. I mean, what was there before? A lot of these players, like, we don't get where we are without a lot of the work done before us by Robert Harvey with the steel side bottom and Scott Pendlebury and um, and some of the work Brenton Sanderson did with the Brody Meyer check along the way. And um, so we're really fortunate that Bucks and those guys they handed over a really nice list to us. So. All they needed was a bit of a freshen up and, and Fly's ability to bring a group together, make them believe in themselves and and put them on a path to making sure that uh, you, you'll allow them to succeed and um, set them up to succeed as much as possible. Um, it's amazing how much he was just able to put all the right pieces of the puzzle in the right spot and just make sure he joined them at the right time. His pre-game speeches this year and obviously over the last few years, for that matter of fact, have been... Um, incredibly inspirational. Have you had? Sorry, mate. I'll drop that one for you. That might be a bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had any input on the uh, on the pregame speeches? Oh yeah, I must admit, I am uh, I am um, I I can be the butt of the jokes a little bit. There's probably about four or five of us that he goes to, but um, sometimes you do. He's a very charismatic guy, um, flying. 
I mean, it's anything to keep it light. So if any of the players have done any social media um, selling of themselves or anything like that, you know for sure it's going to come up. So I did something about 15 years ago and he, he managed to find it and it's probably a bit of a regular in terms of what he does. But, um, yeah, I, I think what the general gist of it is just making sure the players come in, they, they're here to have fun. Like you, you play football to have fun. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's really important what you do. And then your responsibility to to play your role and, and be an entertainer for our fans, which is an incredible, incredible army, that that's such a massive focus for us. So it's really simplified and it's just making sure you have enjoyment all, as you go along. Most of the message to the group prior to grand final day was that try not to change too much or really enjoy soaking every moment. I guess it's hard um, not to when you've got the pregame and I guess your warm-ups. Um, a bit a bit disrupted yeah it's a, it's a really good question I mean it's it's one of those things that I think at the start of the week we we just had a pretty clear focus that no matter what happens this is only really the start of our journey so it didn't need to be this it is a it's a massive thing obviously a grand final and it's so important that we perform and we and we play our role and for the what we need to do for the football club and our fans but we're really clear that, that that was just one game, a part of what we're doing and where we're going and um, and we're not a finished product and we're still learning and growing along the way. So from that perspective, it took the pressure and the edge off a little bit. So from that, you could enjoy the process a bit more and go, okay, look, what is this about? I'm going to make sure I smile when I do the parade. Um, all the little things when I'm walking out on the ground, I'm going to make sure I laugh. If I make a mistake, of course I'm going to make – I've made a mistake in every other game that I've ever played. So – don't magnify it. Don't over. Don't overthink it, and just come back to what you do best and play to your strengths. You mentioned it's only the start of your journey. Can you talk us through, I guess, a little bit about that? Yeah, because winning, because obviously winning a grand final is yeah. pretty extraordinary, and then obviously to be the start of a journey, um, it almost feels like it's setting up um, really nicely for a dynasty. Well, yeah. That, that would be nice, yeah, if we could guarantee that. Maybe. Um, we, we talk about never being a finished product to yourself. So how can you yeah. keep growing and learning all the time? Um, I don't know if that's going to result in another flag or not. I really hope it does. I hope it results in a dynasty and, and lots of yeah. them. So, um, but at the same time, it's just that willingness and to not be so over-obsessed about the outcome, but just making sure. Fly spoke a little bit about this at the end of last year when we lost to Geelong, about acting like a winner at all times. So no matter what it is, you're always willing to grow, but you're always acting like a winner. So if, if we weren't to win that game against the Lions, it, you shake their hand, you look them in the eye, you congratulate them, you take the learnings from them, we grow over it, get ready for the next season and help us get better. How does it actually help us get better? And it's obviously really hard when there's an emotional attachment to a game like that, but... Mm. Uh, I think Fly's messaging and knowing that if you walk in on a Monday and you don't know if we've won or lost is is really clear. And I think he's been pretty true to his word when he's said that. Yeah, absolutely. What was, I guess, the impact afterwards and, I guess, the words or, I guess, talk between the guys, the players, the coaching staff and the club as a whole into what you guys want to get out of next year? In terms of 2024? Yeah. Yeah, we speak about having... Um, Shallow losses and deep wins. And it was one of those things, whenever you have a deep win, it just means sure it makes, means you soak in every moment. So you get to yeah. get around the fans, you make sure you enjoy it, you make sure you sign a signature, have a photo. Um, when, your fam- when you get to go see your family, you make sure you give them a hug and a kiss and spend some time with them and celebrate it. 
if it's a loss, take the learnings from it and move on. So from this one, this is obviously going to be a win that we get to sit in. But we, we, we're we not naturally uh, – uh, well, we, we haven't done it yet anyway, a coaching group that um, does exits with our players unless we think it's necessary. We think the players are highly motivated. Yeah. They're really clear in terms of where, where, uh, where they want to get better and their growth areas, but also what their strengths are and – if, if there's anyone, I think what we've been able to do is create a really close friendship or um, touch point with the players that we, we naturally just keep in touch with a lot of the players within our lines anyway. So mm-hmm. you don't really worry too much about how they're coming back. It's more so just making sure they get to enjoy this period. And um, It's funny how, you know, success breeds success and it's you can sort of feel the hunger of, of someone like a Nick Dacos already when you can see him back training or Isaac Quainer three days later on the treaty and <laughs> his rig out for the world to see, but it's an impressive rig, so he can he can do what he wants. Now talk us through what post grand final and um, I guess the start of your season's been like for you from your perspective. Yeah, so a little bit of change of roles in our coaching group. So we've moved yeah. um uh Brennan Bolton's gonna move into like a teaching and education role that will oversee the coaching group as well as the administration staff. Uh, Justin Leppich is going to step up and be um, a strategic, um, almost like a director or executive for us and, um, and or like a general, like another type of a general manager besides Riley. So he's going to look at both game day, but also where the club's going in terms of recruitment and list strategy and, and that sort of stuff. So everyone else stays the same. So I'm going to move to the forwards next year and I'm really excited to spend some time and look at some of that sort of stuff, um, do a different line. I've done mids for the last four years and I've played as a mid for the last 15. So <laughs> I wanted to do something else. Uh, although I wasn't a massive goal kicker, I'm excited to try yeah. and teach. Yeah, do what I say, not as I do type of thing. So, um, And then we get Jordan Ruffhead um, to come up and be a backline coach for us. Now, I want to get into a bit about your career and your journey. Scott, can you take us through what growing up and I guess a phenomenal childhood was like for you? Yeah, it'll be a quick journey, mate, if you want to go through my career. But um, <laughs> no, we, we, uh, oh, it was really enjoyable. Four boys growing up in a backyard in Bendigo. We, we didn't necessarily have the most amount of money, but we didn't really need for much as well. So it was a really simple existence for us. It was sport and it was more sport and um, that was played before school, at lunchtime and after school mm-hmm. uh, and all types of different competitions, whether it be Joel and I kicking it back and forth, trying to hit the light post and who can kick it, kick it and hit it the most amount of times after school or whether it be uh, making sure that you have a game of footy at lunchtime, play five games throughout the week at school and then you go and play probably two more on the weekend too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're probably grown up and we grew up around a lot of um, real competitive nature and that's probably where we grew our our want and hunger for competition when it got to the next level. And Joel was a little bit different. Joel had a little bit more talent than what Troy, myself and Adam did. And and I don't mean that disrespectfully disrespectfully to the other boys, but we just knew that we had, we had to go a different way about it and we were willing to do that. So whatever it meant to make sure we made it at the highest level or played games and we're able to impact and, and play a part of the teams. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we knew we had to do. Whereas Joel, he always had that sort of bit of crazy in him that always wanted to be great. Um, yeah. You could tell that was on a different level than uh, like what a Nick Dacos' journey is going to be on or what Pendles has been on. And um, yeah, we probably weren't as wide like that, but at the same time, we're de- definitely uh, determined and and wanting and willing to try and make it at the highest level. Did you play any other sports as a kid? Uh, 
We did. So we played basketball growing up. Um, I played with Matt Bellavadova in basketball. Um, cool. He was in uh, my under 10s and 12s and 14s team. Uh, yeah. he, uh, he had a little bit more talent than, than what we did. So he sort of <laughs> a little bit. And then, uh, yeah. And then we were athletic. So dad was a marathon runner growing up. Um, so we did a lot of cross country and a lot of athletics. But uh, yeah, looking back, I think he made the right decision because when I play cricket now, it was, yeah, it wouldn't have been a good idea for me to throw me in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you talk us through? You mentioned Joel. Um, I guess having probably, I guess, a bit, bit more aspiration to sort of be the greatest and be the best than um, you other three boys. How did you try and take that up to him in the backyard battles? Yeah, well. It... It was probably the way that we set the teams up. So it was always Troy and Adam versus Joel and myself. And yeah. Troy and Adam are six years older than me and four years older than Joel. So um, I was always sort of the easy one to be pushed over early days. And then uh, but Joel was always willing for the fight no matter what. So it probably taught him his competitive spirit at a really early age. No matter what the size of the dog is in the fight, he's going to have a crack type thing. So... Um, and then from there, it sort of just he just pulled me along and made sure that I came with him. And I guess that's what all good leaders do in a way, and and they influence the people around them and have a positive impact. And I thought he did that in a really really good way. But it actually helped Troy and Adam along their journey too. And just thinking this guy's catching us quick. How yeah. do we get better? And how do we help ourselves? And um, and I mean they were always sort of on a journey of themselves to try and make it at the highest level. But yeah, they were incredible to to try and get to where they got to. So what was junior footy like and what kind of play with you compared to what you were sort of at the start and then later on in your career? Yeah, I mean, it's probably um, growing up in Bendigo, it's probably how much you mature sometimes when you're a kid. Like I was quite mature quite early. And so the the playing um, against people my own age, I was probably a little bit bigger at the time. So th those sort of things naturally probably came a little bit easier. But as you started stepping up in grades and, um, I think I was 16 and played in the under-18s competition with some of Joel's mates and one of mm. Joel's mates, and we got to play in a grand final together. And that's probably when you had to think your way through the game a little bit more and evolve and think, you know, how can I influence a game just not with sheer power and strength uh, through my size? How do I actually try and make sure that I'm running in the right spots? Um, how am I kicking it in the right areas, making sure that I'm having the right impact for my teammates? So... Um, the evolution of making sure you find that right challenge point was really important, I think. And um, sometimes for some kids, it is to make sure that they, yeah, step up a year or two. And, and I'm not opposed to that personally, but um, sometimes it, it might be holding exactly where you are. And that's exact, you know, that's completely fine as well. And some of those guys progress well and truly past where you are at the time. And um, I sort of played a few rep teams growing up and you probably saw the progressions of some of the guys coming through and, um, and how far they got to by just staying in their lane a little bit and then progressing a little bit later on. And, and they sort of shot past me pretty quickly. What was your TAC Cup like playing with uh, the Bendigo Pioneers? Uh, yeah, good question. Oh, memory's a little bit hazy. We, we didn't win many <laughs> games. I had a great coach. Um, my coach was actually mum's boss at work at the Bendigo Bank, so it was a little bit of a coincidence. But he, um, a brewing coach, like really willing and wanting to make sure he worked on the fundamentals with you, and yeah, um, and he, he worked extremely hard for that. So probably trying to identify um, who are the guys or who are the ones that we can keep progressing, and for the ones that probably weren't going to make it, how do we give them a good experience? So 
not everyone at the TAC or NAB Cup level now is going to make it, but if they're not, how do you give them an experience to make sure they can take away with that in their life and, and apply it to something else or yeah. making sure that they, they still love footy and they, they want to go and play it and be participants of it after that and, and they might grow a little bit older and be a part of a VFL system and you look at some of their journeys of people coming in. We've just got Lockie Shields part of the club and I think of someone like him. He was a Bendigo pioneer and then sort of went to the, to the VFL system and now he's one of the most wanted small forwards in the game. So very lucky to grab someone like that but um just everyone's journey being a little bit different and we had um myself and robbie tarrant come through robbie got drafted to north um and then probably the, the guys around us uh they fought their way and, and and had a crack and some had really strong vfl careers or, or state league football careers which was exciting to watch as well absolutely so obviously you were the one that they saw um a bit of promising well, I was young, so I was so Joel was uh, drafted the year before, and I got drafted as a seventeen-year-old. So my year was the last year you get drafted as a seventeen-year-old. So West Coast took myself, Brad Ebert, Tony Knott, who were all seventeen-year-olds, and they also took Chris Masson with their first pick, who was uh, eighteen at the time. So we were relatively immature, but at the time they'd sort of had a pretty mature list in terms of they'd just come off the back of the '06 era, their grand yeah. final periods, um, and they were just looking for some youth. So. I was still in school, so I needed to do year 12. Um, so that was probably the challenge, knowing that I was moving to Western Australia as a kid and I still <laughs> needed to finish year 12 whilst, whilst trying to play AFL. And from there, it's, uh, that that was a little bit of a task. But um, Adam and Troy were very clear that I needed to make sure I do it, and mum and dad, to be honest with you. And, um, and I was quite passionate about learning outside of football. I wasn't the greatest student, but at the same time, I was passionate about learning. So that's probably the best way to put it. What was it like when you hear your name read out as pick 22 going all the way across to the other side of the country in West Coast? Yeah. Well, Adam gave me a little bit of an insight that um, West Coast had pick 13, I think, from memory. Pick 13, 20 and 22. And yep. it was a toss-up between Tony Knott and myself for pick 13. Um, and when Adam came back, he came back for the draft and he just sort of said, oh, look, mate, the recruiters have said they're going to go with Tony Knott. He's from... Western Australia, and that's just how it's going to play out. So they sort of said, if you're there at 20, um, you know, they'd love to take you, but unlikely, you know, you'll still be there. But every kid's got that story about their draft period and um, the false promises and things like that. I didn't read too much into it. It didn't really worry me, to be honest with you. But I still remember back in the day, they they might still do it now, where they read the draft number before they read the name. And I thought I knew my number, but I had it wrong. So... They started reading the number for pick 22. I looked at Adam. I was like, that's not my number. And then he's like, he sort of looked at me weird. And then they read my name out. And I was like, oh, shit, turns out it is my number. (laughs) We had a a little laugh there. But um, I was pretty excited, mate, to go and play for such a big club, um, such a proud club, although I was only young in in its existence, uh, to be with my brother. Adam had just just stepped up to be a vice captain at the time. Um, So... He was evolving in his own career and, and it was exciting to be a part of that and, and his journey as well as stepping into my own shoes and making sure that I was having my own career over there. Did having your brother there um, also added an extra level of comfort walking into a fresh club as a 17-year-old? Yeah, it does, especially when you're probably the, all the way over in Perth. There's probably just a little times or one thing that I'm, I'm, I was conscious of when I was over there is you just have a lot of dead time and yeah. when there's no family or friends around or you can't be bothered picking up a phone because you're too tired, um, just say, sitting on a couch with your brother and watching a movie, just those little moments where you're just like, oh, I'm so grateful for this. Like, this is just easy. We don't have to talk to each no. other. 
we generally didn't want to talk to each other because we would have been talking <laughs> about something. But um, but he was such a brilliant uh, the way he sort of went about and made sure that he he made sure that I was feeling really comfortable and and being myself and, and having my own journey, but making sure that when he thought he could add some uh, a little bit of advice, he he jumped in and um, and he was always really willing to make sure that you know it was it wasn't going too far and um, yeah, I thought he found a really nice balance with it. Was there a particular movie you two would like to watch together? Oh, good question. It was probably more footy and sports documentaries, to be honest with you. Like we were, yeah. we were probably like every kid now. And but back then, there wasn't as many sports documentaries that mm. used to come out. So you used to have to fight pretty hard, or you'd be <laughs> watching the NBL, or you'd be going to the NBL in your spare time. Perth Wildcats were on fire during mm. a lot of the stages whilst I was in Perth. So it was always nice to be over there knowing that they were winning. Um, and then also you were sort of watching a lot of the NBA stuff and, and getting dipping your toe in a bit of NFL stuff. Absolutely. Now, talk us through the years between, obviously, your draft year and winning that John Morsefold medal in 2012. How did, I guess, your development, um, not only physically but mentally um, and confidence-wise, progress? Yeah, so I, my first year I played, I think, 10 games, also I was still doing year 12, so that was... We, we didn't win many games. I reckon we came about 10th and we made a late run for the finals. And yeah. um, and it was interesting. I still remember I went back and um, I think I think the Cats got knocked out in 08 um, from memory. Yeah, they did. But I still remember going to the MCG and watching Joel play finals football and just remember thinking, like, this is it. Like, this has got to be what you play for. Like, <laughs> one your first task is to try and make it then your second task is to try and play one game and then once you sort of play a few you're like okay where am i what am i doing like mm. what's it like for me and then from there it became pretty clear that it was like okay no like I, we i want to play in september like whatever it looks like and, and find ways and make sure that this is what we strive for as a football club and um and we got fortunate enough a bit to play in september but we um we had to we had to brace some losses pretty early i think we, we won a wooden spoon at one stage and it was really difficult, but we probably had we had really poor injuries. To like, I think Josh Kennedy, I think Mark McCraw did an ACL. Josh Kennedy was out for a lot of the year. Um, Dean Cox sort of hurt himself throughout the year. and So some pretty key pillars in terms of what we had. Um, Darren Glass was our captain at the time, might have missed a few games. So what it did do, though, was expose you to senior football and how he'd be a leader within that. And I probably embraced that side of it more than anything else and knowing – okay, leaders always make sure they perform first and foremost. And then from there, how do they connect in with the people around them and make sure they're having a positive influence on them. And um, when you're 19 trying to do it to Quinton Lynch or to, you know, guys that are 31, 32, it can be quite daunting. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, they were brilliant. Like they, they made yeah. sure they supported me on my journey. And um, yeah, I, I, I sort of, I took a little while to get going. I mean, I, I was a little bit of a, I was a run with player and tagger and I probably averaged eight to 10 possessions for my first couple of years. And then yeah. my third year, I played a lot of midfield minutes. And um, I, I remember I was sort of second to the ball. And I think I had a, a truckload of tackles, but it just sort of, I, I wanted to get a little bit more aggressive and I was out of contract and I needed to get back surgery. And I remember thinking, um, if this is my final year in footy, which I was, um, I was okay with, I'd been trying to get the best out of myself and that was always an aim. I want to make sure I really enjoy the year and just smile a lot, have fun, make sure I laugh. And I probably didn't feel like I was I was t probably taking it too seriously for too long. Uh, so from there, I just sort of thought, now nah, when there's an opportunity to go and celebrate for someone else or whatever, I'm, I'm going to make sure I go. And 
I'm not going to be the first one to leave because I need to recover the next day. I sort of did all the opposite to what I'm telling the players to do these days. <laughs> um, it was probably I, I just lent too far one way and um, yeah. I was like, no, I actually need to find some enjoyment in this. And once I did that and my back recovered, I sort of found a bit more power in my body. Um, and then all of a sudden my, the game opened up a little bit more for me and I could play to my strengths a little bit more and get the footy in my hands, kick some more goals, um, but then also make sure that I was still having my defensive pressure efforts. And, um, yeah, and then it sort of just grew a little bit from there. And that that was uh, a fun little journey to go on to try and find the balance in life to always know that you don't have to be overly serious. And, and that's probably what we're learning from Fly when we're talking about his pregame speech on grand final day. Yeah. Um, so you have some fun in there. Absolutely. Talk us through that 2012 year for yourself because it was – just a remarkable year. Um, yeah, so the the year was probably, I mean, I won the best and fairest that year, but to be fair, we had a couple of guys. Darren Glass had a phenomenal year, and he might have come runner-up. I, I should know this. Yeah, well, I suppose him and Shannon Hearn behind you. Yeah, and I think what they what we did was we sort of jumped from have, from coming 17th to 3rd or 4th, and mm. so we had a really nice run. But what we did going into finals – those two guys, I think, may have rested one or two games, and it, what it did, it hurt them for the for the uh, best and fairest resulting. So yeah. <laughs> I was quite conscious that, uh, um, and I think Dean Cox had a really good year as well. We might have rested him one game going into the finals, and uh, yeah, so I was conscious that although I thought I had a, a strong year, that um, these other guys probably somewhat deserve the medal as well. And yeah, um, but at the same time, it was more so coming back to the fact that we sort of come from a club that is a really proud club. And you look at them now and similar type things, they've got a hundred thousand members and they came 18 um, and they're going to have a hundred thousand members next year. And they'll probably struggle to make the eight, but at the same time, you never know. But what one thing with a strong club is they don't last down the long, down the line, down the um, ladder for long. So, um, and that was one thing I was really proud of the fact that as a group, we're starting to come together and some things were clicking. We, we got a really strong coaching group in place under John Warsfold. And I think we had Phil Walsh, Neil Danaher at the time. Um, and we had um, Teague, uh, Longy, who's at Trio now, and Scotty Burns. And all these guys were sort of touted to be head coaches and nearly all of them have got gone on to do it besides Burnsy, who still might do it one day. Yeah. Um, so that we're sort of quite fortunate with the group that we had uh, to know that we're getting expert coaching and, and it sort of just started to click, in for, click for us. So knowing that we could bring the club together and we could start competing in September. That's probably my most proudest point of the year, but um, unfortunately we couldn't get over the line. You talk us through the decision in 2015 to make that move across to Geelong and play with your other brother, Joel. Yeah, that was a really tough one. So I was vice captain. I got vice captain when I was quite young. I think I was 20 years old maybe. And um, I'd been vice captain for a little while. And when Simo came in, I was really excited by the freshness and, um, and the new ideas, what he was bringing. And unfortunately, my second game for Simo, I rolled my ankle and um, I dislocated it and sort of wow. um, did everything you could to it. It had little cracks in it, um, ripped all the tendons apart and uh, did my syndesmosis. And um, one thing we did is, unfortunately, we had a heap of illness in the club and I was sort of supposed to go on a moon boot, be out for about six weeks. And um, we'd just won about, so we'd won our first two on the trot, I think, and we'd sort of quite hopeless the year before. So I was I, did, I wanted to be a part of more success. And we're playing Geelong and Geelong. It was a massive challenge. And Matty Prittis was out crook. Luke Shuey was suspended. Chris Maston oh. was crook as well. <laughs> so I sort of said to him, I said, mate, I'm going to be hopeless, but I could stand out there for you and I think I could play a role. 
And it was probably the biggest mistake that I made instead of actually just uh, freshening up and trying to get my body right. And I think I'd played maybe 95 games in a row or something like that. So I just sort of thought my body naturally heals. And yeah. unfortunately, putting it under stress, once I got through that, I kept trying to play with, um, yeah, I guess a, a body that was just so shot that, you know, I was probably disappointing myself that I didn't pull myself up earlier and, and made sure I get surgery. And um, the, the flow-on effects, I knew the – when I kept playing and uh, I knew I'd done a lot more damage and I've probably done long lasting damage to it that um, hurt my chances of being the player that I wanted to be, but or be a part of something that I wanted to be a part of. But um, I had full faith in the medicos. I just probably thought my body was going to let me down. So I had, um, I had, yeah, I've had, I'm up to 12 surgeries on it now. So it's been something that's been reoccurring and uh, been a part of it all. But unfortunately it sort of got to a point where I, I was two years in with Simo and, the club had just made a grand final and yep. really proud that we'd sort of got back to a point where we wanted to make sure that we're competing and we had these young guys coming through. And I guess you always, we speak about legacy at Collingwood and my legacy was always wanting to make sure that I left the place um, better than what I found it. And I felt like I'd done that. I felt like the club had moved past me and found some replacements. Mark Hutchins was coming up through the, the system and Dom Sheed and there was some good opportunity for those guys to get minutes and, and play some uh, some senior footy. Um, so probably it wasn't really an emotional decision. It was just probably one of those things. I was just happy to – I was always – I was actually considering finishing up footy and going overseas and experiencing uh, what all my mates do at 25 and they go and live overseas for 12 months and come back. And Joel just sort of said, mate, if you, if you do want it, you just come and join the footy club and, and try this for a year or two. And if you like it or if your body gets better, then hopefully you can play some senior footy. Um, if it doesn't, you can go and do that. Uh, but one thing I was really appreciative of is going back to the Geelong Footy Club and it's amazing, uh, not the West Coast didn't do this, but um, they definitely did. But it was amazing when you're back around your your, your network and your your family that uh, you felt the, the arms wrap around you pretty quickly yeah. from a football club point of view and they sort of said take as much time as what you need. And I didn't play a whole lot for Geelong. I didn't, definitely didn't get back to my best, but um, I felt like I was trying to have an impact in many different ways and fell in love with uh, with the footy side of things again. Well, in 2017, you averaged 10.7 tackles a game with Geelong. Can you talk me through, and you mentioned before, how important pressure was a, a part of your game early in your career. What about later in your career? How much did you sort of value that aspect still? Yeah, yeah. I was just slow, mate. So it meant that I didn't get to the footy first. So all the other yeah. good players were getting to the footy, but... Um, oh, I mean, yeah, you've got your strengths and weaknesses and I, I felt really comfortable in terms of reading defences and um, and how and contests from a defensive point of view. So probably where I probably lean too much towards now as a coach and your, it's my bias now, but um, really passionate about um, knowing each guy's role within a team and we had superstars. We had Joel, we had Paddy to go through there and then little Gaz came and joined us as well. So no point trying to be that guy. And we also had Tim Kelly coming through and Sam Menegola and Mitch Duncan. And so it sort of felt like the balancing act for it all was really clear and simple. It was like, well, we don't really have that guy that, you know, when Paddy doesn't want to run, who wants to run for him? And I was, it was a strength of mine and I was really happy and willing to do it. And, um, you know, trying to find the things that go, let, you know, let's play to Paddy's strengths and not outwork him and overdo it for him so yep. he can be his brilliant, brilliant self and vice versa. From my point of view, I love I love the work rate point of view so or the running point of view component to the game. So 
let me do a lot of the defensive running for you or a lot of the pressure and the tackling and we can both play to our strengths and the outcome of that was generally meaning that we won quite a few games. We never quite got to a grand final, but we played in quite a few prelims and had a shot at it. So um, that was probably knowing knowing my role within the team to, to make sure that I had a chance to make sure I tried to play in a grand final. What was playing finals footy in September, like you mentioned before, how that was probably what you just had always aspired to after watching Joel play at the MCG? Yeah, it's cool. It's... Um, yeah, when when you get to walk out on the MCG and and experience it as a as a player, and I think we played Collingwood in a prelim final one year, uh, or we might have played them in a first final, and yep. you walk out and there's is one of the reasons why I joined Collingwood. To be fair, that <laughs> seventy five eighty thousand Collingwood supporters going absolutely mental, and there's such an appreciation for the game to know that so many people love this sport and it's such an incredible environment to know that we had to walk out of here, walk into this coliseum of the MCG and uh, for the next three hours or two hours, we get to go hammer and tongs at each other and, and know that, you know, whether there's no tomorrow type thing that um, you, you get to just go and play and play with your mates and uh, just such a cool experience to know that, you know, the pressure's on. A lot of Australia's watching you and how do you actually make sure you come together at all moments and, and play a role to make sure that, you know, you come out on top at the end of the day. So um, finals footy, it's, yeah, I mean, even as a coach now, you still sit there and just marvel at the fact that, you know, how grateful we are to be a part of what I think is the best game in the world. Absolutely. What did you take away from those finals moments that you've sort of been able to carry with you um, into your coaching career? Yeah, it's a good question and probably some of the stuff that we train and, and what we try and break down with our psychologists and um, and what, how you try and coach it. So what we try and do is and try and – and this is where Hayden Skipworth or our coaching group's brewing, but Hayden Skipworth in particular is just knowing how to speak to the players or the energy of the group all the time. So yeah, if, if, you've, got, um, if you've got Collingwood playing Carlton at the G – you never really have to speak too loud. You can speak quite slowly and calmly the whole time, no matter how the game's going, because it's a massive energy in the game already. So you don't really need to add to that. So it's trying to find the moments within the game on how to find your spark or what spark you, or what trigger you need to pull at different times. And then if you're playing a, a lower ranked team, the MCG on a Sunday afternoon and there's 30,000 people there, that's probably when you get a little bit more animated and, and you get a bit more... Um, stronger with the detail, I guess you could sort of put it nicely and um, and try and find some energy within what they're trying to do. So how you try and coach or how you try and pull levers and we don't have a whole lot to do, but our, our players are pretty motivated to, to do that sort of stuff. But that's probably one thing that I've carried in terms of how do you make sure you stay calm and give the right thing? And sometimes giving the right thing is giving a spray to your brother out on the field because he wasn't good enough in an effort. But at the same time, <laughs> it might be picking him up off the ground because he's just done an absolute incredible one and, and you know, just dragged you guys over the line to win a, win a tight final. Absolutely. How did you find that transition between, I guess, playing and coaching? Was it seamless or did you find it challenging? Yeah, I think it is a challenge. I, I must admit I'm um, probably when you're a role player and you're not a superstar of the game, you do find it dif- difficult to, to, like, Steele and I are the same age. Um, Pendles <laughs> is three years older than me, so... Yeah. Coaching guys that I tagged a lot of my career, Tommy Mitchell, I tagged numerous times and Taylor Adams and these guys that, you know, all, all these little things that sort of come into it that um, it can be really difficult to coach your peers. But at the same time, um, 
once you get grow a little bit more confidence and there's a little bit more time in the game, you do find that it becomes a little bit simpler. You find what your strengths are. And I had a really good mentor, or he still is a mentor now, but um, Nigel Lappin at Geelong Cats, he's an incredible coach. Um, and if he was ever to be a senior coach, he, he, I don't, I'm not sure if he's got the ambition to be. He never puts his name forward, but he'd be absolutely incredible. But there's one thing about the uh, the early Lions crew of Fly, Lepper, Lukey Powell, Vossi, Nige Lapp, and all these guys coming through. They're ultra successful, and they've got this competitive nature. But they've they've got a really good sense of themselves and where they fit in the picture and how they bring people together. So. Nige was my influence and then um, and trying to make sure that I, when I coach, I want to be um, Scott Selwood, the coach, and not not anyone else. And then uh, what it what it looks like is when you get a little bit older and you know how to coach Steel. Steel likes to be coached really strongly um, and wants to be pulled up and he's, he still likes a little bit more of the older school type coaching and he feeds off it and loves the work rate. And then with Pendles, it's it's – someone like him and showing him edits and having conversations with him and he'll coach himself. He's totally the opposite. And then, uh, so you're just trying to find how to relate to the players. But one thing that we've got is our players coach themselves and coach each other so well that it's pretty much making sure you provide a forum and a platform for them to coach and educate them, each other. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the work sort of done, you're just sort of making sure that you put the cut the vision up and, or making sure that you're doing the walkthrough and, and putting the right problem-solving techniques in front of them so they can um, lean on each other because that, they're the ones obviously out there in the, in the big moments that need to communicate and connect and know what each other are thinking and doing uh, on game day. How do you try and coach someone like Tom Mitchell or Steele or Pendles when you, you mentioned before you tagged them so much throughout your career and them being your peers, um, and you mentioned the different coaching styles, each of them like, but how do you coach them when I guess they're already such elite um, and great athletes in their yeah. field? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, that perspective, one thing that um, one thing that I did find that the although you weren't as good as players and they're extremely respectful to how you want to coach and what you want to do. So, and even if you do stuff up, embracing your mistakes. And I mean, I've got Geordie and Nick and these guys, but one thing you try and do is find what each player likes and how they like to be coached. Um, and that's probably one thing I think that I've tried to pick up on. And someone like Geordie, you don't have to overdo it with vision. Um, Geordie's got an incredibly smart brain in terms of a football brain, but overdo it with vision and he'll, he'll fall asleep on you. And it's not yeah. his fault. It's just, he just doesn't like that way. So not trying to have the cookie cutter technique of uh, making sure that we coach all players the same. So I don't show Geordie a whole lot of vision. We'll just have a corridor conversation. Yeah. Um, in terms of what, what, how I thought his game went or how he thought really and just um, brushing up on that. But then you might get a Taylor Adams who's going to be first in each week, making sure he wants to tick off all his edits and he wants to see exactly where he went wrong, the shape of his body, the detail and the art of it all and go to the fine detail. Tommy Mitchell's in and out and he, he sometimes he likes vision, but he loves a lot of working on this craft and the skill out on the sprung floor and, and feeling the body and just going, you know, you're probably pushing off a little bit too early or you can leave it later and do all these little techniques and making sure that you, you get to get to work with them and spend time with them. And it's it's amazing. All of them have got different challenges at different times and whether it be like a Pat Lipinski and coming back from a shoulder and trying to force his way back in the side to be there in September or Jack Crisp that we had to throw around a little bit more this year to make sure we got Nick some exposure as a mid. Although he come off the back of two Copelands, there's a 
psychological element to that. You need to make sure that Crispy feels extremely valued, knowing that we're yeah. going to bring we're going to bring you back as a mid when the time comes, uh, when September rolls around. But we just need to expose some different parts of our game and make sure we're still evolving and growing and um, and making sure he feels valued in terms of what he's doing, even even though he's not getting the ball as much and having those little um, nuances. So it's uh, it's a cool environment, but, um, but to have a senior coach that allows you to coach each player the way you want to, that's probably the power in, in it all, I think, knowing that um, he, you've got full autonomy um, and making he makes you feel like whatever way you want to do it is the best way to do it and he's got full trust in you. How excited are you, Scott, to have someone like Lockie Schultz come into the club um, for next year and over the preseason? Yeah, extremely, mate. I, especially being a forward line coach, and I get someone yeah. of that caliber. Um, I do, lo- I do miss, I do lose a kid that I, I did love, unfortunately, in Little Guinea. But um, but at the same time, he's he's on his own journey, and, and I wish him all the best. But he's um, incredible little talent. But to know that we've got Lockie coming along, um, there was always a rivalry, obviously being over in Western Australia between West Coast and Freo and I still watch it now with Envy but at the same time I meant that I watched Lockie Shields having a big impact a lot of the time on the West Coast Eagles and um, some of his games and not just the derbies but in big moments or um, keeping his cool I, I can't wait to coach him more I think he'll do a lot of the coaching himself but I think he'll fit perfectly in terms of what we need in our team but also I think he'll love the MCG and their space to run around and playing in front of our Magpie Army, which is probably the coolest thing you can do in footy. Absolutely. Scott, what would be your best advice to anyone who wants to be, I guess, an elite-level AFL player and um, make pro like yourself did, like you did, sorry? Yeah, good question. I mean, one thing that I sort of see kids now, and even and Nick's probably the expert at this, Nick's a freak yeah. of nature in terms of his ability and, and his work rate, but um, Nick has got innate ability to want to learn and grow and that could be reading articles, could be making sure he picks the right things up and yeah. adds the right, um, the gym, uh, the gym programming at the right time. And yeah. So being really open to so many different things. I mean, meditation wasn't a big thing when I was coming through and then all of a sudden it's, it's massive for the players now and you see the benefits of what some of them get through. And so being open and willing and then just applying it and, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we learn and, and you sort of read in articles, these guys, you know, they, they become they become habits for them. So the players don't even think about it. And then from there, you can just go and play and enjoy it, knowing that you've done all the work. So we want to make sure that we prepare really well. And if you prepare really well and you add all those, all those little elements into it, be really open for growth, um, you can go out there and just enjoy yourself, knowing that you can try and play to your strengths and the rest will follow. Scott, thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the show and uh, best of luck for the off-season and next year. Awesome, mate. Good to be a part of it. Thanks so much, Scott. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.